The future, as we know it, changed at 1.03 a.m. on December 5th. Possibly. Maybe. Scientists at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California achieved what they believe was a significant breakthrough in creating and harnessing fusion energy. Fusion energy is the energy that makes stars shine brightly in the sky. Scientists believe it could dramatically change how the world runs. Fusion energy supposedly offers the possibility of clean energy that is free of emissions and does not pollute the environment. Experts in science, government, academia, and private industry have long dreamt of breakthroughs in fusion energy. But until this experiment, early in the morning, on December 5th, those dreams were only dreams. Now, these experts believe that we are significantly, significantly closer to unlocking the power of fusion energy that could change the world. And you and I probably slept right through it. Sometimes, incredible power, future-changing possibility, things of great importance can slip right past us, and we don't even know it. As we seek to understand, as we seek to follow Jesus, we might find His miracles to be amazing. We might find His words to be captivating. We might find His life story to be intriguing. But contained in all of these is a force that far exceeds even what fusion energy or nuclear energy can offer and all the power that man and science can muster. That force is His Word. In Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44, we find that Jesus rescues people and builds His kingdom with His supremely authoritative, authoritative, excuse me, Word. Let me say that again. Jesus rescues people and builds His kingdom with His supremely authoritative Word. Follow along as I read from Luke 4, verses 31 to to 44. Excuse me. And may God bless this reading and preaching of His Word. Speaking of Jesus, Luke records, And He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. 
Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This morning we're going to make our way through this text and see this supremely authoritative word or words of Jesus. We're going to have two acts, two settings, two scenes that will guide us. The first is the power of Jesus' words in verses 31 to 41. And then secondly, the purpose of Jesus' words in verses 42 to 44. So first, the power of Jesus' words. This story from Jesus' time in the Galilean town of Capernaum provides us examples in seeing the power of Jesus' words, both over demonic forces as well as deadly forces. You have the demon-possessed man and you have Simon's mother-in-law battling a high fever. As was the pattern in Jesus' early days of ministry, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. And verse 32 tells us that those who were gathered were astonished at his teaching, for his word did what? It possessed authority. But then a man who had a demon caused quite an uproar. Look at verse 34 and 35. This man says, in the middle of the synagogue, I assume, and I'm I'm not planning on this today, that would be quite a disruption, let's just go ahead and rule that out. I'm not Jesus, and so uh, let's not have any outbursts like that. But this man breaks out in the middle of the synagogue and says, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I don't know what the voice of a demon sounds like. I'm trying there. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out, having done him no harm. Now, let's be honest. This event in the synagogue in Capernaum raises all sorts of questions, does it not? What do we make of demon possession? Were occurrences like this a product of Jesus' day, but not really happening still in our day? If we're honest, maybe we would think that, well, we live in a more refined, more educated day and age. They were more unrefined, more uneducated than we are, and so that probably contributes to it somehow. I don't know exactly how, but maybe we think that. Or we might think to ourselves, okay, I believe demon possession could be real, but what does it look like today? And so all sorts of questions come to our mind, and we're going to get to these, though not exhaustively, But I think working through this text will actually help us to know better how to process, how to understand these events that unfolded. Here's what I mean. It's important for us to see something. We stare at this demon possession, or we see this demon possession in Luke chapter 4, and we look at it with curiosity and questions, but look closely and see what prompted curiosity and questions on the part of the people of Capernaum. Look at this in verse 36. They were all amazed, amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Let us be careful, brothers and sisters, as we read and we work through the text, let us be careful that we aren't standing here 
saying, what is going on with that demon? Patrick, you're not demon possessed. I'm just looking this way. But, but that we're not saying, what is going on with that demon possessed guy? While everyone else in Capernaum is saying, who is this guy that has the authority to cast that out? So let us see what captivated their attention. Now, the power of Jesus' words is not limited to the demonic, but he also has power over death. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus went to Simon's house. You might be familiar with Simon. Eventually, uh, he would come to be known as Peter, the Apostle Peter. But Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Keep in mind, for various reasons and not having the advances of medicine that we have today, it seems as if a high fever was certainly a very, very dangerous thing in Simon's day. And the appearance is that his mother-in-law was perhaps on the verge of death. Look midway through verse 38. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. I like how it doesn't say she started to get better, but Jesus said, okay, she's, she's going to start improving. You, she's going to need to have a few days off her feet, take it easy. No, she just got better. She just got up, got out of bed, and began to serve them. So in verse 35, Jesus rebukes a demon. In verse 39, he rebukes this fever. And we're stuck here saying, who is this Jesus and what does this mean for us? We're 2,000 years removed from Jesus walking the earth, from performing miracles like this. Perhaps we hear word of or hear accounts of people being healed of terrible diseases. Or maybe we even hear accounts of demon possession. But we sit here in our day and we wonder, what do I make of this Jesus? Allow me to illustrate how I think we can understand this and how we can start to see or understand the way in which Jesus works in our midst in this day. If you were to visit Itasca State Park in Minnesota, probably not during this time of year, not advised, although it's felt like northern Minnesota here the last couple of days, you would find a small stream right in the heart of Itasca State Park. It's only knee-deep, it's only about 18 feet wide. Yes, you could walk across it. You could walk across it real easily in the middle of winter, but in the summer even, you could walk across it and only get wet up to about your knees. But this stream slowly meanders through the bends and turns of north-central Minnesota, and slowly but slowly, this stream grows and grows and grows until it starts to resemble what we know it as, the Mississippi River. The mighty Mississippi then carves North America in two as it journeys south until it ultimately winds its way through the swamps and marshes and low-lying areas of South Louisiana before emptying into the Gulf of Mexico. It's as if these earliest miracles of Jesus are the small stream just starting to flow way up there in northern Minnesota. The waters just starting to bubble as His supremely powerful words begin to pierce this world of darkness and death. These words reveal that His power cannot be held by the limits of time and space. He cannot be contained by the threat of death. He cannot be silenced by the evil of the demonic. And as His church, some 2,000 years later, we are floating a little further down the river with the current of His supremely authoritative words being the means by which God carries us along, ultimately anticipating our final passage into the ocean of His glory. So these miracles that we look back upon in the grand sweep of history from Jesus' life until eternity when we will see His face, these miracles 
in the mystery of God's wisdom, they give us something that we see that, we anticip- that help us to anticipate the kingdom that is to come. They serve as a, as, a, as a verification, a validation of the power of this Jesus who had come. And now the mystery of God's wisdom is that today we don't see miracles like this performed in this way. I'm not saying they can't happen, but we don't see them in the manner by which with the rapidity and with the wonder by which they happened when Jesus himself was walking on the earth. And yet we do live in a day where Jesus is about, and God is about the work of miracles by bringing the spiritually dead to life. And now you might say, okay, well that sounds like a cop-out. You want us to believe in this Jesus, or you want us to say, I, I need this guy that does the miracles today. Well, I want to pause right here, and I want us to think about this. I don't know whether you what kind of miracles you might be looking for. Or whether you carried into this room this morning a sense of heartache or hurt or a sense of I need God to work in some way in my life or in the life of a loved one. Perhaps your soul has felt tormented or uneasy. You've lacked peace for far too long. Well, what Jesus does show us in this passage is He might not be with us physically and be able to have the hands by which He can touch us and heal us but He does give us His heart by which He can give our hearts new life in Him. Jesus offers us Himself. He offers you eternal life that is previewed by the miraculous healings and promised via the new heart that the Spirit of God gives to you. So here's how it works. It works by somebody starts to see these words of Jesus, and maybe they've always found them boring or disinteresting, but then somehow they start to grab hold of them. And these words of Jesus start to seem to resonate with authority that we previously did not recognize or did not grasp. And then Jesus, in His grace, raises the spiritually dead to life by showing them that He is the one who has come. He is the one who invites them to come to Him only they will repent of their sin and believe in Him. So if you're wrestling over that, or wrestling over, I need Jesus in some capacity, or I need the power of God to be at work within me, and I don't know where to turn, and perhaps I need to come to Him in faith, I would love to speak with you after our service. Just feel free to grab me in the lobby or upstairs, wherever I am. I'd love to have that conversation with you, try to answer questions. But look at how this day of Jesus' great power, all this is happening on one Sabbath day in Capernaum. Look how it's concluded in verses 40 and 41. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. I want you to see something in verse 40. See the descriptors there. All those who had any who were sick. And it goes on, he laid his hands on every one of them. What we're seeing here is there's a sweeping totality to the power of Jesus' words. It's not like he lined up people, okay, everybody with a head cold over here, everybody with cancer in the middle, everybody with something else over here. No, all of those, any who were sick, 
He laid his hands on every one of them. He didn't, and then he didn't just rebuke one demon, but he rebuked demons, plural, that came out of many. The unrivaled, the unquestioned power of his word is fully on display. And so as we carry the sicknesses and the burdens and the weights of that, that weigh us down, we carry all of this looking towards that day when we know that they will be finally defeated in Christ. Now here's where we rightly understand this, and here's how we wrongly understand this. If we rightly understand it, or if we wrongly understand it, excuse me, by saying, okay, Jesus, I'll take my miracle. Where do I sign up for your power to come work wonderfully in me? That's the wrong way of seeing it. Because once again, the people in Capernaum are instructing us. They're not saying, wow, look at what happened with that demon-possessed guy. They're more amazed by the power of the one who has done the miracle. Do you grasp that? And so we don't look at this and say, okay, Jesus, I'll take my miracle. We look at this and say, okay, what do I need to see about the power of Jesus? So we rightly understand this when we look at this and we say and we submit before Jesus knowing that his word has all authority. And we humble ourselves under his word and we say, transform me through your words as they stand in total authority over me. And sometimes what we see in the faith in the Christian faith, is that the greater miracle is not healing the sick man, but it's making the cold heart warm by the authority of Jesus' words. This brings us to this place of verse 36. They're all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For he has authority and power. And I think this principle, this unstated miracle of seeing the power of Jesus' word, words is illustrated by, of all beings, the demons in this passage. You see how two different uh, instances, verse 34 and 41, demons profess Jesus' identity and he rebukes them. At the end of verse 34, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 41, but, uh, they, they said, you are the Son of God. And he said he rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak. Why? Not because they got his identity wrong, but because they got it right. Because they knew that he was the Christ. Why would Jesus do such a thing? You would, I would look at this and say, Jesus, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but you've got a long way to go here all the way up until your cross, your resurrection, your ascension. There's going to be a lot of instances where people, people even very close to you, don't understand who you are and what you've come to do. And of all people, these demons get it right. Don't you want people to know that? Here's why I think Jesus rebukes them. It's not that they had his identity right. It's that we did not, or his audience did not yet have his identity right. And what we need to see is that Jesus did not come that people just might intellectually know who he is. But he came in order that people would know his identity and surrender under his authority. Jesus was relentlessly serious about people rightly understanding them, understanding him. He did not come to be their faith healer. He did not come to be a good luck charm. What he's come in revealing is that he has the supremacy of the power of God at work in his words. And therefore, the issue is not, do you get his identity right? The issue is, do you submit under his authority? And so he helps us here to see the power of his words 
And now, secondly, in verses 42 to 44, he shows us the purpose of Jesus' words. It's really a spectacular Sabbath day that they had in Capernaum there. If you were to read through it, it was a Sabbath day, and then you see at the very end in verse uh, 40, the sun started to go down, and pe- more people came out. And all these unfolded in one unbelievable day. And then verse 42 tells us how the next day began. When it was the day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Pause there. You can't really fault the people of Capernaum. They understandably did not want Jesus to depart. I think it's safe to say if Jesus came to Situate and was standing on the town common and um, uh, people were bringing their sick and their they're, they're, they're despairing and everything else to him all day, and he was healing them. And then he got up the next day and said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and head down the road to Marshfield. A lot of us would probably go to him and say, hey, calm down, slow down there, Jesus. There's, there's more you could do here in town. They didn't want him to depart, but verses 43 and 44 help them and help us to understand the fullness of Jesus' use of his words. For he said to them in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Observe this, how Jesus understood the purpose for his work. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. We will grasp this with me, brothers and sisters. We will only rightly understand the power of Jesus when we understand the purposes of Jesus. And this is where we run the risk of sleeping right through this opportunity to see the transforming, miraculous power of Jesus at work today in his people. You want to see the power of Jesus at work in your life? at work in your church, at work in your world, understand the purposes of Jesus. So we need to see this, how his purpose harnesses his power. Think of this illustration. In my high school and college, in the athletic department weight rooms, there would be boards or charts that showed the school records for various lifts. So in the weight room, there'd be school records for bench press, squats, deadlift, power clean, etc. Surprisingly, my name is not on any of those records. I remember, though, I would see guys working out in the weight room, and it was like some of these guys were carved out of granite. When I was a freshman, I saw one guy take his shirt off before starting to do some pull-ups, and it was like his muscles had muscles. Anyway, student athletes, they work out in the weight room almost year-round. Wake up many times at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., get a lift in before breakfast and before classes begin. They max out on weights. They record any school records that were broken. But here's the thing. They don't do it that they can just record the records. For the football team or the baseball team or the women's lacrosse team or softball team, the goal and purpose of the team is not to lift the most weight. The ultimate goal for the team is to win games during the season. The weight room accomplishments are examples of their power, but the purpose is victory on the playing field, and being their best in the weight room is how they would achieve that goal. So Jesus is showing us his power, but he doesn't want to come marvel at how much weight he can bench press. He wants us to marvel at how he is building God's kingdom through his word. That is the purpose. 
So everything hinges upon this good news of the kingdom of God. And so we trace back to it, well, what is the good news? Jesus says, nope, no more miracles in Capernaum for the time being. I have the good news of the kingdom to preach. So we say, well, okay, tell me what that good news is. We trace back to Isaiah 61. We trace back to Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, where Jesus quoted this from Isaiah 61. And he said that by his word, that he is the one who has come to bring new life to dying people. He has come to bring... uh, freedom to slaves in captivity. He has come to lift the chains off the oppressed. He has come to give sight to the blind. And so when we consider this good news of the kingdom of God, we see that Jesus serves as an emissary from another kingdom, another world, who has come to make all who will hear him. He's come to give them new life. He's come to show the breaking into this world and your world of a transforming power that can have your name on it. And the miracles serve to verify, to validate that He is who He says He is. And you can trust His Word. He introduces us as citizens of this kingdom, this world of death. He introduces us to his kingdom of life by totally healing Simon's mother-in-law. He introduces citizens of the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom of light by vanquishing the demons that tormented souls. And Jesus stands before us and victoriously reveals that in him the terrors of this world are not immune from the power of his word. These miracles, they serve as a preview for tomorrow for the Christian, not as a promise for today. Simon's mother-in-law was healed of the high fever, but ultimately something ended up taking her out. I don't think there's a 2,000-plus-year-old lady walking around uh, Capernaum still telling people about the time Jesus healed her. Jesus' work served to illustrate that in the kingdom of God, illness and death will be totally and completely vanquished. In our church family, we pray regularly for two ladies, Susan and Amy, who are both battling cancer. We celebrate and thank God for good reports and good test results. We pray for their total healing. But we know that the promise of absolute healing does not come for these mortal bodies that we dwell in. It comes via the hope of resurrected bodies. It's not a promise for today. It's a preview for tomorrow. Unless we hear this and feel a sense of, well, that's kind of anticlimactic. Let us consider that what we hold in God's word is his divine power to change, to transform lives, hearts, families, homes, worlds by his word and this power has been the source of his church flowing further and further and further down the road of his grace across centuries how is the church established and built in the new testament through the ministry of the word of god how was the church guarded and reformed across history what was the spark that lit the match of the protestant reformation some 500 years ago It was the Word of God preached and grabbing hold of hearts. What is the story with each and every one of us in this room who are Christians? 
It's God by His Word raising the spiritually dead to life. Jesus did miracles in Capernaum. But the kingdom of God has grown by the authority and power of Jesus' Word since that day. Today, the church gathers to worship this Jesus who is building His kingdom. Not just in Capernaum, but in Curaçao, in Chicago, in Cairo, in Copenhagen, and yes, on the south shore of Boston. Dear Christian, do you know that the Bible that you hold in your hands carries the same power as if Jesus stood right before you and was speaking to you? He is no longer physically present on earth, but He is present in power as He ordains that His Word is the vehicle by which His church is built and His kingdom is advanced. Every Sunday that I or someone else stands in this pulpit and proclaims the Word of God, the breath of God goes out, ministering to the church, giving life to the spiritually dead. When church members open God's Word together in a growth group or over coffee or over the, at the dinner table to read, discuss, apply, to pray through it together, God is at work in power in His people. You know, we've been talking a lot about growth groups in our church lately. And there's no mysterious, magical power to them. They're simply us opening God's Word together. That the power of this Jesus whom we've seen, the supremely authoritative words of Jesus, might warm and minister to us and might show us His glory. And so our growth groups, they are not an end. They are a means of getting us to that end. So to that end, if you would like to learn more about how you can join one, we have a new one beginning this week. It's going to be in the middle of the day. Men or women are welcome. It's going to be led by Rick Goodenough on Wednesdays. If you'd like to learn more about it, speak to me, speak to Rick. I'd love to introduce you to it. Or you can join the men's group, the women's group, whatever. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we must never forget that citizens of a kingdom sit under the authority of the king. And King Jesus has so graciously given us his word. And now you and I, we probably do not encounter many people in our day by day who are demon possessed. Some of you are like, okay, now we're getting to the demon possessed part. Stephen said, wait on it and we'll get to it. And here we are. We might not have demon possession all around us, but we do have spiritual darkness that is evidenced by despair in lives and disinterest in the things of God. Do you know, do you regularly encounter people who need relief? The weight of this world is too great. Their heart is too tired. In their own sin, they are desperately in need of a Savior, and perhaps they see it, perhaps they don't see it. Brothers and sisters, you do not have to exercise any demons. But you know the work that you can do with the authority of the power of the words of Jesus is very simple. Perhaps you have some in your life that you're calling to mind even now that you can offer a warm cup of coffee and offer to sit down with them and start to read and discuss with them the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke or Mark 
and introduce them to this Jesus who can, by His power, give them new life. You might know somebody battling a terrible illness and they could use a miracle. Or perhaps you feel in your life you can use a miracle of some sort. May I share with you that Jesus stands ready to bind up your heart, to help you, your soul to sing again. And the way that He puts that song on your lips and gives hope to your heart is through His Word. The mysteries of providence contain questions about death and loss that only eternity will ultimately be able to explain. And yet Jesus stands before you giving examples of His miracle working power, offering you a preview of what is to come for those who are His. And by His Word, He strengthens and equips us to wait, to hope, to believe, to trust. Not blindly, not because we have nothing else to trust in, but confidently because we know He is ministering to us and He has given us His Word. In the early morning hours of December 5th, the world quite possibly changed. Fusion energy promises a bright future, but it's a bright future in a darkened world. Through Jesus, we have the promise of a new future. We have the promise of release from the captivity of sin and darkness and death. And in our hands, we hold that power by which He is bringing that new future. Jesus rescues people and builds His kingdom with His supremely authoritative word.